You're listening to The Scrimmage with Daniel Hargrove and Justin Domashevitz. Yeah, Monday. It's actually Monday that we are recording this. <laughs> That's different. That's new. Yeah. We got a good show for you. I'm Daniel Hargrove. I'm Justin Domashevitz, and we've got our trusty producer, Andrew Gross, here with us, trying to make us sound as good as possible. Oh, did I mention you're listening to the scrimmage? Because I, you... I, sh- I should have. I think you did, but I can't remember now. It was so long ago. I know. <laughs> what? I mean, just like everything that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Well, we Last do... night, what the heck? We do have a 5-0 and Seahawks team. And uh, once again, I'm going to complain about it. <laughs> and I'm sure that since the Lakers won, we're going to talk some LeBron as well mixed in there somewhere. It's not in the show sheet. I don't know. I think it might be. LeBron? <laughs> let's get it going with the two-minute drill. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Hello. Gotta hurry, gotta hurry, gotta hurry. Hey, two-minute situation. 44 seconds. Hand the ball around. Gun do right, gun do right. Three jet buckeye. Don't worry. Three. The two-minute drill starts now. Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott fractured and dislocated his ankle on Sunday and will likely miss the remainder of the season. Daniel, should the division-leading Cowboys roll with Andy (laughs) Dalton or look for another option at quarterback? Uh, Have you looked at the other options that are out there? There's not much. Paxton Lynch is a free agent. Colin Kaepernick. Cody Kessler. Colin Kaepernick. Drew Stanton. Not exactly a smorgasbord of talent at the quarterback position. I mean, if they want to trade for Geno Smith, the backup of the Seahawks, I'd be all for that. But not much out there going for him. I think Andy Dalton, you know, I've always had a soft spot for the Red Rifle. I think he's going to be the guy they need to stick with and get behind. And, I mean, that whole division is just trash anyways. They could win, like, two more games and win that division. Tampa Bay Bucks quarterback Tom Brady seemed to be confused about what down it was as he attempted to lead a game-winning drive on Thursday night against the Chicago Bears. <laughs> Head coach Bruce Arians said Brady did know what down it was, and Tom himself dodged the question. Oh, boy. Justin, did old man Brady forget, or was he trying to trick the officials into giving him another down? I think we've actually gotten to a point where everyone accepts the fact that he actually forgot. But the next day, that Friday, there were actually people, like actual media people, who were trying to make the argument that Tom Brady was trying to use some kind of a Jedi mind trick on the officials to give them another down. Oh my gosh. But yeah, he clearly forgot. So, let's not move on from it. Let's let it linger and keep talking about it every week. He just can't beat Nick Foles. (laughs) Two NFL coaches have now been fired this season as both Bill O'Brien and Dan Quinn have been let go. Daniel, would you want to see Quinn return to the Seahawks to see if he can help their defense improve? You know, I when I first heard about the fire, even before we heard about the firing, Andrew and I were like, yeah, can they fire Dan Quinn already so we can come back and help the Seahawks? Because he was the defensive coordinator of one of the best defenses of all time. Now, was it because of him? Maybe not, because he was 
You look at the names on that defense and it's ridiculous. Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman all in their prime, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright in their absolute prime, Bruce Irvin when he was at his best, Red Bryant, Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill. Bennett and Averill were backups on that defensive line that rotated in. Chris Clemens and Brandon Meebane. That's pretty much the most stacked defense that you can think of, but I still would like them to bring him in in some sort of consulting role just to get some eyes on this thing to see if there's anything you can do to try and make it better. Heat star Jimmy Butler said he didn't do his job and didn't hold up his end of the bargain in Miami's finals loss to LeBron James, there it is, and the LA Lakers. <laughs> Justin, did Butler need to be better? And should the Heat feel good about what they accomplished this season? The version of Jimmy Butler that we saw in the two Heat wins was the best version of Jimmy Butler I've ever seen. <laughs> All right, that's enough NBA. Let's okay. go. All right. <laughs> I think that the picture of Dan Quinn, so I'm picturing this thing where, like, after you said that, the Seahawks bring Dan Quinn in, and he's standing on the sidelines with Ken Norton Jr., and Ken Norton Jr. is going, here, coach, this is what we've tried. We've done this. We've done this, and all this stuff. What do you think we can do to get better? And Dan Quinn just saying, have you tried having better players? <laughs> <laughs> Where's Cam? Is is Cam around? Have you tried? <laughs> I think. How about a defensive line that has pass rushers? Yeah. You know those guys that like run towards the quarterback and then tackle him. Have you tried getting some of those guys? Yeah. Also, I forgot to mention it. Benson Mayowa was also on that 2013 team, but he never played. Yeah, he was a rookie, but but still, yeah, that team was just stacked. I mean, you even start looking Greatest at the backups defense in NFL history. You even start looking at the backups, like. It was ridiculous. Mike Morgan and O'Brien Schofield ended up playing and starting other places. Malcolm Smith started other places. Got a Super Bowl MVP. Jeremy Lane was really good. Uh, Chris Maragos even played, I think, for the Eagles and started for them for a while. Byron Maxwell played other places. Walter Thurmond was a good nickel corner. Like, it's just insane. When I think about Jeremy, think back on Jeremy Lane, too. Like, there were so many times where... I was like, oh, dang it, Jeremy Lane, you suck, you blew it. And now I would kill for Jeremy Lane. (laughs) Can we do something to replace Trey Flowers, please? Oh, boy, yeah. Jeremy Lane was at his best, though, when he was a nickel. Mm -hmm. And I feel feel like I really like Ugo Amadi in that spot. Mm -hmm. I think he's played really well there. Yeah. But moving on, unless, Justin, should I be nice? Do you want to finish your your Uh, NBA thought there? There's not really much to add. Okay. I think Andrew buzzed it at the perfect time. <laughs> All right. Then it's time for your favorite part of the show. All right. Now, this is Stump Daniel. It's brought to you by the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz. And I'm going to admit something to you. I had a little bit of outside help on Stump Daniel this week. Uh-oh. So this is a special edition of Stump Daniel. That doesn't sound good. It is the Francis Stumps Daniel Oh no! Stump Daniel. <laughs> No, basically, Francis, I thought we were good now. Well, you were good, and I was his enemy, but we have since worked things out, and now he's back to hating you. <laughs> no. And the way this happened was he texted me the other day and was like, here's an idea for a question for Stump Daniel. And I was like, wow, that's really good. You got any more? Oh, no. <laughs> and then he just kept sending me more and more, and I was like, wow, these are really good. So, I'm going to give him all the credit. I'm going to ask you. I, I just want you to know I did very little fact-checking. 
So if anything's wrong in here, it's Francis's fault. But I trust him that this information is good. The first question, I actually did a lot of digging because um, I was curious and I found a lot of interesting information out here. Okay, But here's your first question. Who is the only person to win a Heisman Trophy and appear in the Final Four? And appear in the Final Four? Yes. The oh. only person as a collegiate athlete. I thought you were going to go with the Bo Jackson question nope. there and say in the All-Star game. Nope. Who's the only person to win a Heisman Trophy and appear in the Final Four? Oh, my goodness. Heisman. Okay, so defensive. My first thought was defensive player was uh, Julius Peppers, but he's a defensive player, and only, like, one of those have ever won the Heisman, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't him. It was, was it Charles Woodson? I'm just going to say things that I know to Those fill things the are air. both true. Julius Peppers did play both sports, uh, and Charles Woodson did win a Heisman Trophy, yes. Oh, uh, Andrew. Wait, final four of what? I'm assuming the NCAA oh, tournament. I thought you meant the uh, the college football playoffs. No, no, no. That, Sorry. That no. makes more sense. The the NCAA basketball tournament final four. I, I was tracking with you. Yeah. Andrew also forgetting the music bed, which I'm kind of liking at the moment, <laughs> but it also means that I have to fill time with my voice. Uh... I mean, you can always punt on this one and just give up. No, I'm not going to give up. <laughs> Gosh, there's a there's a name that I'm thinking of, but I can't remember it. So I'm just going to say another name, but I'm pretty sure that he didn't do either of these things. Okay. <laughs> so just I'm going to say Allen Iverson. Uh, no, no, because he didn't win a Heisman. But his his football highlights are pretty legit. Yes, they are. That's true. Maybe uh, that was in high school. <laughs> the answer actually is former Oregon State. No, Beaver, oh my gosh, Terry Baker. <laughs> oh, my dad is gonna kill me. Well done, Francis. Well, well done. When Francis gave me this, I had never heard of Terry Baker. Oh, no. So, but I know you do. You have heard of him, yes. obviously, because he's a legend. Yep. But I looked up some more information on him. Oh, no. His, his, his athletic career is fascinating. Because not only was he the Beavers quarterback from 1960 through 1962 and won the Heisman Trophy as a senior... He also scored a, on a 99-yard touchdown run for the only score in the 1962 Liberty Bowl against Villanova. So he won that game for his team. He appeared in the Final Four as the point guard for the Beavers basketball team. Wow. He was the Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year. Oh, my gosh. He also was the number one overall pick in the 1963 draft by the Los Angeles Rams and is considered to be the first real draft bust. Oh, wait, really? <laughs> he played three seasons for the Rams and only threw 21 passes. Four of them were intercepted. And then they tried him at running back, but he only rushed for 164 yards. Um, after he played three seasons for the Rams and he fizzled out in the NFL, he played one season in the CFL for the Edmonton Eskimos. There is just so much pain wrapped up in that yeah. whole thing. <laughs> Allen Iverson, what was I on? I don't know. I actually thought Julius Peppers would have been a better guess, except that he obviously didn't win a Heisman Trophy. Yeah. Uh, 
So you're wrong. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and this is one of the greatest, if not the greatest player in Oregon State Beavers history. Actually, many people think that he was just kind of ahead of his time as a um, as a scrambling quarterback because he was a dual threat quarterback in the yeah. '60s when there weren't people wanted pocket passers. So. Oh my gosh. Moving on to the second question. My dad is gonna be so mad at me. <laughs> in 2007. Wes Welker, who Andrew lovingly knows as the droppingest dropper who has ever dropped. <laughs> Wes he Welker shared the league lead in receptions with another player who had 112. Who was the other player? Can you, Sorry, I missed the first part of the question. In 2007. 2007. Wes Welker shared the league lead in receptions with another player who had 112. Who was that player? 2007. I'm going to say... <laughs> Every time. Uh, Chad Ocho Cinco Johnson. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. No. The answer is former Oregon State Beaver TJ Hushmanzada. Uh, I, I picked the wrong Beaver, buddy. Did you notice that I, I thought I felt the trend? It's, yeah. Well, you're over two in Beaver's questions here. Next question. Only two schools are not represented on the Pac-12 All-Century team. Whoa. Which schools are they? <laughs> Only two schools are not represent represented on the Pac-12 All-Century team. Which two schools are they? Are you serious? Yes. All-Century football team? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Uh... Well, you would think that Terry Baker would be on there, <laughs> Sportsman of the Year. You would think that. Oh, no. Uh... Is it so? This is either a trick question to get me to guess. <laughs> <laughs> Could be either. And they're Pac-12. Yep. Okay, so the century's pretty short for the Pac-12. When was the Pac-12 formed? I actually have no idea. I thought it wasn't even until the 2000s. Yeah. I don't know. Well, what? it was the Pac-10 before that, and then the Pac-8. Yeah. Before that. Exactly. Well, I would assume that this is all-encompassing Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12. Yeah, but there would be four teams that didn't even have players in the century. I didn't write the question, okay? So direct your anger at Francis. Well, I'm... Well, maybe it's a trick question. Maybe he's going after your other allegiances instead of Oregon State. Who knows? Because you did graduate from Wazoo. I did, but... It became the Pac-12 in 2011, but yeah. but that was a name change, and the Wikipedia article says that the Pac-12 conference was established in 1959. Okay. So, so I'm going to say Colorado and Utah. Because they didn't have any players oh, that would have played in the turn of the century before sorry, the century. Sorry, that's not correct. But it's Oregon State and Colorado. How does Utah have players in the All-Century team when there wasn't? I, I didn't write they the didn't question. Even play. I didn't write the question. This is an easy deflection for me. Okay. Okay. Next question. <laughs> You're zero for three. What? Okay. I'll yeah, look it up. Yeah. Okay. What WSU kicker was selected to that team? The Pac-12 All-Century team. What WSU kicker was selected to that team? I should totally know this. I feel like you should know this. I do feel like that is true. But I have no idea. 
I'm going to have to punt on that one, because the only name I can think of, I'm pretty sure he went to UW. Okay. And that'd be the worst. The answer is former NFL great Jason Hansen. Okay. Wait. Okay. <laughs> so you are 0 for 4. Yeah, not going well. Yeah, you got Fran- three. Francis is owning me right now. <laughs> you got three more Although questions. Although I'm disputing one of those. You can dispute it. I didn't write the question. Because I don't know how Utah would have a player on the All-Century team. Did I mention that I didn't write the question? Yes. Yes, you did. (laughs) Only one school in the Pac-12 has never had an Offensive Player of the Year. Which school is it? Only one school in the Pac-12 has never had an Offensive Player of the Year in football. Which school is it? Gosh, I would hope Steven Jackson... Would have been considered, or or even Brandon Cooks for that matter. But Brandon Cooks was the man. He was a stud, but his teams weren't very good, so they probably wouldn't have given it to him. I would think that Drew Bledsoe or Ryan Leaf would have had to be up there for Wazoo. U Dubs had a ton of really good. It's tough too because like there's all these great players, but. It's easy to forget what other players also played in those classes. And when they lined up, yeah. yeah. Because Steven Jackson was amazing. Yeah. But there could have been, you know, it could have lined up where he had other great players in that same year. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. I think I'm... (laughs) I think I'm going to go with Colorado, though. You're on the board. Yeah, You got your first correct answer. There we go. He was obviously trying to bait you into picking Oregon State. Yeah. But it is not Oregon State. It's Colorado. Oregon State has, in fact, had one offensive player of the year. Daniel, who is it? That's your next question. Oh, gosh darn it. (laughs) Your Uh, Oregon State Beavers have had one offensive player of the year in the conference. In case anyone is interested, Utah has the only punter on the Pac-12 all-century team, Tom Hackett. But uh, can can you figure out how they have... How they Utah have... is in the Pac-12, Daniel. I know, and if but he was a when... great player for Utah, then he fits. But what's the century mean then? Because <laughs> the league's be really... not a hundred years old. <laughs> they must have come. It, they must have come up with like on whatever uh, random date they did it. They were like, "Here's the best players of the last century." But it's not even. It, oh my they gosh. trace back to 1915. It says it was established in 1959, and then it says 1915 as Pacific Coast Conference. So, so they did that list in 2015. Yeah. Well, that would have changed things. <laughs> I still would have gotten it wrong. Yeah, you would have. Okay, um, who is the only offensive player of the year in the conference that Oregon State has ever had? Okay, so. There's some good ones in there, man. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a couple of them. Yeah, and there's also Chad Ochocinco and Hushmanzada yep. who have already been mentioned. And also in the Brandon Cooks years, there's also Sean Mannion That's, who was amazing. He was. A, he set a ton of records. Yeah. Um, Stephen Jackson, Ken Simonton. Oh boy. I'm gonna say I'm just gonna go with the guy who I felt was the most dominant offensive player I've seen at Oregon State, and that was Steven Jackson. Right position, 
Wrong year. Really? Was it? Jaquiz Rogers is oh, the only quiz. Oregon State quiz. <laughs> we loved quiz. Oh, he was my favorite. And we and all I kept... didn't even bring him up. Nope. I'm a terrible human. <laughs> and we all kept rooting for him and followed him like uncomfortably closely through his whole NFL career yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Decent player. Decent player in the NFL. Yeah. Just ne- He was super quick, just never had that breakaway speed. So he got away with it in college, but then in the NFL, people caught him. Yep. All right, well, you've got oh, one right. You've got one right. Um, Gosh, but he was so good in college. So was his brother. It's additionally embarrassing that you mentioned, like, ten guys. I know, and I didn't And you list didn't mention once. Quiz, who was one of your favorite players. <laughs> yeah. That, okay. This... I gotta hand it to Francis. These are... <laughs> This is definitely uh, like when I hit you with the North Carolina ones. All right, I got a baseball one for you. Okay. Oregon State baseball. Super good. Has six times had a Pac-12 player of the year since 1999. Name five. Oh, come on. This is the way he wrote it. (laughs) You need to get at least two of these. Uh, Darwin Barney? That is not on the list. Really? I think he's still playing in the MLB. Never heard of him. Uh, there's, there's one. Conforto? Conforto! I can't, is it Michael? Michael Conforto, you got it. And actually, he won it twice. So that means that there have been six. That means there's four more names. Okay, uh... Guy who's in the catcher, he's a catcher for in the Mariners AAA organization right now. What's his name? Oh, this is going to drive me nuts if I can't remember his name. Oh, no. So it wouldn't be helpful if I told you that in 2019, the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year was a beaver. And that's a, the guy you're trying to think of, right? Yeah, and a yeah. catcher, and an absolute and freak, breaking records, and yeah. Didn't he? Didn't this guy once get walked with the bases loaded? I think that he intent he was intentionally walked once with the bases loaded. That's crazy because they were so scared to pitch to him. That makes sense. Whoa, Ben's gonna be mad at me now with yeah, this. There's one another too. one on this list that I'm shocked that you haven't guessed yet. Okay, what what was is it? Did you say offensive or just player of the year? Just player of the year. Okay. Maybe if I try and think of other names, then that one will come back to me. Um, gosh. <laughs> oh, oh, duh. Jacoby Ellsbury. Jacoby Ellsbury, that yeah. dirty, rotten, yep. dirty player. Yep. That is one. So you got you got a couple there. Okay. I there's think... there's three on the list. Two of them I've never heard of. And the last one is the one that you're trying to come up with that you know the guy, but you can't think of the name. I can't. I'm I'm blanking so hard and it's ticking me off. I think before I risk losing everybody listening. You're gonna give up? <laughs> I might have to give up. Okay, here they are in order. Michael Conforto times two. Yep. Jacoby Ellsbury, you yep. got those. Cole Gillespie. Oh, yeah, he was good. Nick Madrigal. 
Madrigal? Ma- Madrigal. Madrigal. He was also really good. And the name you were trying to come up with is Adley Rutschman. Oh. And you know what? I'm not even sure if he was actually the guy. Like, he's who I was thinking of for the award. But I don't think he's in the Mariners farm in the system. Mariners. No, I didn't think he was either. I felt like that would have been a bigger deal. But I do remember Who's the... you talking about him in college baseball. Ah, uh, because he was a freak. Yeah. But who, now I'm now I'm even more embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you did. No, that's the Adley Rutschman's in the Orioles organization. Okay. Well, you know what, Daniel, you got one right in this oh Oregon gosh. State Beavers Francis Stumps Daniel edition of Stump Daniel. That that was good. I mean, it was terrible, <laughs> and I feel absolutely stumped, stumped, and mortified in myself. I, I need to find. That was awesome. Props, to, <laughs> props to Francis. That was really good. I'm trying to find the catcher I was now thinking of because I'm doubly embarrassed that I thought that <laughs> Cal Raleigh. Dear Lord, I pray that Cal Raleigh went to Oregon State so I at least have something that saves me there. It's not even a real name. Daniel just made that up. <laughs> He's madly tapping the table. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a nope. Po- he went to Florida State. I'm a oh, complete jackwagon. It ends in state, though. I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm the worst. Francis made me look like and it's an in a corner absolute. Of the <sighs> there was a part of me that thought when I asked you that first question that you were going to be like, "Oh, it's Terry Baker," because you can sometimes just like pull random Oregon State <laughs> trivia out of your butt. Yeah. I did not even – my dad has told me that multiple times. Yeah. That's why I said my dad's going to kill me. Yeah. No. Well, if he doesn't listen to the show, I'll text him later and make sure he knows. He watches the YouTube videos. Okay. And Stump Daniel is one of the YouTube videos. <laughs> You're dead. Ugh. I absolutely botched all of that. This seems like a good time for a commercial break. Do you have a legal situation and need someone on your side? Let the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz be your advocate. If you've been the victim of medical malpractice, suffered a personal injury, or need representation with real estate law, small business law, or estate planning, let Jeff Domashevitz put his 29 years of experience to work for you. Call Jeff Domashevitz today at 360-612-3991 or visit domashevitzlaw.com. That's D-A-M-A-S-I-E-W-I-C-Z-L-A-W.com. I still don't know if I can come back from that. (laughs) And I got a segment to lead here. Yeah, you do. That was a sucker punch to the gonads. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel's demoralized. I am. Thank you again to our sponsors, (laughs) the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz. Also, thank you to Oli Penn Real Estate, which sponsors our Athlete of the Week. And this week, our Oli Penn Real Estate Historical Athlete of the Week is Alexis Keating. Now, Alexis was a golfer for Elma High School. She did some other things in high school as well. But she went on to play at Colorado University to play golf and a pretty stellar high school and actually a college career and even went on a little past that as well. So... We'll start with some of her bio stuff here on the Colorado University 
Um, I don't know. Did were you writing for the paper at all? There That's was East County. I should remember this. There was a Keating that played golf. She had a little sister I who think also it was, played. I think it was her little sister when I worked at the Vidette. I once wrote a story about, and I think she also went to play golf at Colorado, but I'm not positive about that. Definitely, could they were have. both. They were both really good. They were both really good because I think I'll, I'll get to it because she's mentioned in here somewhere as well. But in high school. Uh, Keating concluded her stellar high school career by winning the first state golf championship in Elma High School history. She finished second individually after shooting a 74-76 for the 150 at the state championships, while her sister Lauren, a freshman, took third. Ah, so that's it, the team state championship. So second and third right there. Uh, The sisters were coached by their mother, Michelle. Real nice lady. Alexis was uh, Elma High School's number one player all four seasons and also won the WIAA State Medalist Honors her sophomore season. On top of her runner-up finish as a senior, she also finished second as a junior and fifth as a freshman at the state championships. She has been on the WIAA District 4 individual medalist each of her over four years and led Elma to the district championships as a junior and a senior. Four-time Evergreen League MVP. She was named the Seattle Times Athlete of the Week as a freshman and the Olympian Athlete of the Year in golf as a sophomore. Um, That was probably back when Elma was in the league that had some of those Olympia schools in it, too. Um, She also, part or right around there, maybe, no, that was right after it, I think, uh, she also participated in on the dance and drill team at Elma all four years in high school. So then she goes on to Colorado, um, and she plays all four seasons there in 2013-14. She was an academic honorable mention 2014-15, uh, Pac-12 academic honorable mention 2014-15. She was the team scholar athlete award winner. Um she, in 2015 and 16, which was her senior year, she was all-academic second team, got the Pac-12 Tom Hansen medal. She was the Team Scholar-Athlete Award, the WGCA All-American Scholar, and the and she also um, was given the Colorado University Female Career Athletic Achievement Award. So... Pretty pretty prestigious stuff there for her career at Colorado. Um, let's look at her senior year. She played in all 12 of the Buffaloes tournaments in her five, final year. Um, 28 of her 29 rounds counted towards team scoring. She posted a 74.14 stroke average, second lowest on the team, and was one of only two buff golfers to record multiple rounds in the 60s over the course of the season. That's impressive. Uh, her lowest round came in the 2016 Pac-12 Championships. It's a great time to have your best round in the Pac-12 Championships in your senior season. And for the second consecutive year, Keating tied for fifth place and carded a 66 round two in the league event to match her own program record for best postseason round. And she set a new record in relation to par at six under. So these are pretty wow, pretty lofty honors she's putting up here. Uh, she recorded a career high five top twenty finishes, 
along with a personal best 26 rounds in the 70s. Keating also posted a 73.5 spring stroke average, the lowest of her career, which, rank, which ranks second on the all-time list. She had a pair of top five and top ten finishes in the season and was honored with the, as I mentioned before, the Colorado University Female Career Athletic Achievement Award. So you basically just spent like three minutes doing nothing but listing her accomplishments. <laughs> yeah, and, and that wasn't even, I didn't even really list much of her freshman through junior year. That is incredible. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. It's impressive enough to me when high school kids have the patience to become good at golf. Yeah. Because when I was that age, golf was so far off my radar. And if you've ever played with me now, it shows <laughs> that I never played when I was younger. <laughs> but, um, man, that's to have the patience required, the patience that it takes to actually get good at that game from a young age um, is really amazing. The Keatings are absolutely a golf family. And like I said, when I worked at the Viadette, I, I don't remember which Keating it was. I should remember, but I think it was the younger sister. And I did a story on her and I interviewed her and I interviewed um, her mom, Michelle, as well. They're incredibly nice people. Um, just I felt great ambassadors, not only of the sport, but also of of Elma High School. And I, I just think, you know, when you're talking about like that list of accomplishments, just thinking about all the hard work and the hard work and repetition that it takes to be good at a sport that's as precise as golf just blows me away. Yeah, absolutely. It, the amount of time that you have to put yeah. in hours and hours and hours at the range, at the golf course, whatever it's. And also I feel like you have to put a lot of work mentally into it absolutely. too, because golf is such a mental game that can throw you with that as well. And just to see the, the improvement, like the constant, like she got better every season mm -hmm. and played her best round in the Pac-12 championships. I don't know. That, that says a, a lot 66? to me. was a 66? She shot a 66, you she, said it? She carded a 66 in her Six second round. Bar. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be happy if I shoot 66 on, like, Nine an holes. easy course like Oakstridge through, like, seven holes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some days I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, she also had a bunch of... Uh, stuff listed for when she was a junior, like or played on some of the junior world championships and story stuff like that, which just kind of blows my mind that you know world championships in 2010 Callaway Junior World Championships and there's a bunch of stuff listed in that. Um, but she also um, played after college. I'm not sure for how long, but she played on the LPGA's developmental tour, the Symmetra Tour. So she was good enough to go and play after that. And I think I saw an article where she advanced to a the second round of their qualifying school as well. So she did have at least some success after college as well. So it's just an incredible, um, incredible string list of accomplishments there for Alexis Keating and somebody that I had, I don't remember hearing much about. I'm sure that I saw her picture in the paper because I used to always follow the sports pages. Mm -hmm. I still follow all the sports pages. So I'm sure I saw it, but I hadn't heard anything of her after she went to school. And actually, thank you to our friend Johanna for sending me links about this person. And actually, she sent a few that I can look up for maybe some future athletes of the week. But yeah, keep... Keep sending things 
for me to learn more about local players, especially ones who maybe I've lost complete consciousness of after they've left and they've gone on and done some really cool things afterwards. Cause I love kind of remembering like, Oh yeah, this person. Yeah. And then finding out how successful they were afterwards. Like Alexis was absolutely amazing. And we do our, we do our best to try to like spread it around to different schools and stuff. And I think you've generally done a pretty good job at that, but it's, uh, it's easy to go to Monty because you know, I'm from Monty. I covered Monty really closely for an extended period of time. It's easy for you to go to Hoquiam because you've covered those teams and that was your hometown. Absolutely. And it's a little harder to get the other schools, not because we don't want to, but because we just don't have as much of a connection there. So please, and you know, if you want to nominate somebody, let us know. We're happy to take those nominations. Absolutely. So again, your Oli Penn Real Estate Historical Athlete of the Week is Alexis Keating. Thank you so much again for that sponsorship to Oli Penn Real Estate. And now let's move on, Justin, to the Sunday night football game that, I mean, if you don't love drama and you don't <laughs> love the Seahawks team, because holy cow, it seems like every game has just been nail biters and ridiculous. I actually sort of gave up as you would you guys know because you were listening you were following our uh, conversation that we hey, have in messenger during the I game. I did too. It was like, well, the defense can't stop anybody, so yeah. obviously the Seahawks are not going to win this game and it took not only it took a combination of the defense stepping up in a big spot and what seemed like a really poor decision also um you know by the, it, it's questionable at people least. keep saying by the numbers it's the yeah. correct thing to do and i still don't yeah. i don't understand it i right. don't like well, i get that if you get that yard you win the game well they put up on the broadcast the percentages and what we're talking about in case you missed it there was a fourth and one play that um the seahawks defense was on the field and they stopped them and they could have kicked a field goal that would have put them up by eight and the percentages were uh, if you kick the field goal, your percentage of winning changes a tiny bit. If you convert it, which is most likely to do, then your percentage goes up by quite a bit. And if you don't convert it, then your percentage doesn't go down that much. So, like, by the percentages of the analytics, it made sense, especially with the high success rate on fourth and one, it made sense. But also, I think it's one of those times where, like, it's a perfect example of why you can't just rely on analytics, that you have to do a combination of analytics and common sense and follow your gut. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there because I don't see how it doesn't change. I don't see how the field goal doesn't change it that much because then they have to score a touchdown and get a two-point conversion yeah. and get the coin toss in overtime right. and then go score. Like, Wasn't it saying like if you kick the field goal, it increases your chances of winning by like four percent wasn't it something really low like that there like was it. an yeah, increase but they also had the overall win percentage way too high at that spot there hmm. in hmm. my opinion well the overall win percentage doesn't have a rust factor like did, well, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. did anyone did yes. anyone doubt that wilson was going to drive back down and have a really high probability of getting a touchdown no once they got the ball yeah. back so that's clearly not reflected in I, it was the their point. their overall win percentage there on the screen was some somewhere up in the 90s and i was like no yeah, not, if not you if got, you're going to give them 
a you know, drive and just a touchdown. You know what the problem is? Or just needing a touchdown. Is you know when they're getting those stats, I'm assuming it's over years of NFL situations and teams and games, right? Well, you definitely have to shift those numbers when you're playing the best quarterback in the league. Yeah. And not take in the numbers that I don't know, Blake Bortles is throwing in there that goes into the <laughs> statistics. Like <laughs> That's factoring into those numbers. Yeah. Is all of the times that Blake Bortles if, got the ball back in that situation and threw a pick in right. immediately. Just Bortles! If you're facing a league average Is that quarterback. like the opposite of a Kobe? Yeah. <laughs> if you're facing a league average quarterback, then those percentages are probably accurate. But when you're facing somebody who not only has shown the capability, but has incredibly consistently made those miraculous comebacks. Um, which Andrew uh, made fun of me for this, but I was saying Tebow vibes. But, like, you remember when we had, like, two months of Tebow where it felt like every game something that was absolutely impossible happened? Yeah. Well, I feel like we just have, like, years of rust now where it's been that Tebow magic, but it's over and over and over and over again to the point where it feels like divine intervention. It, it's pretty darn close. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. <laughs> And I'm and, only half joking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the crazy thing is, is I'm with you. When they got the ball back, I'm like, they're going to drive this down and score. But then they, I don't know about you guys. I was so frustrated at the lack of a short passing game. So much so that when they got that fourth down to Metcalf by throwing it up the sideline, I was still Angry. freaking out. <laughs> Just angry messaging both you guys like, what the hell? I'm still mad. That's still stupid. And so I went back and I was like, was that I was trying to see if it was Russ or if it was the play calling. And I don't have the all 22, so I can't quite see much. But I do know that on that play, Tyler Lockett was wide open about three yards past the first down marker over the middle of the field. Nice, easy, short pitch and catch. And then it started looking more at okay maybe he's just locked in too much to dk in that situation because you go down to the goal line and he throws it three straight times to dk metcalf and the one on second down great read could have been a touchdown had dk held on the second one I the one i still think it was a touchdown i i th- i'm kind of with you on that it was really close so I, I think it's one that, you don't however have to they hold called it, it through the ground anymore, right? Not through the ground, so but he, he had it in his hands. He didn't go to the ground, and he yeah. had it in his hands and took like two steps in the end zone, and then it got knocked out. Like it is, he yeah. never dropped isn't it. This it got whole, scooped out. Isn't a, this that like whole football, football move thing, like or a, a move yeah. consistent with the game? But which didn't is they one of the change most the rules vague. to make it? easier for it to be a catch they, they did but that was still close enough to me that i think whichever way they called it would have been upheld via replay i felt like watching it it was an incomplete pass i, I felt, felt i felt like watching it regardless <laughs> of what the rule is i felt like it should be an incomplete pass personally yeah you probably think des didn't catch it either <laughs> i mean when you, when you watch it in like slow motion it looks like the ball was in his hands for a really long time uh, but the, in reality he had it the he fact, stepped and the ball got popped the out. fact that the ref with the best view of it like on the on on the, the sideline on at the, the sideline that they were coming towards he called it a touchdown and then they took that back after talking to the other ref i felt like that was an indication of bad refing decisions because 
if they had any doubt, and they had to have a doubt since the one ref thought it was a touchdown at first, yeah. they should have called it a touchdown because it would be automatically reviewed, and they would be sure that they would get the right or the best call. Yeah. And instead, they were like, nah, never mind. And it ended up hurting the Vikings. It did. So I'm not yes. mad about it. I just thought it was a bad refing decision. I, I don't like that uh, if there's any doubt thing. Because then make it so it gets replayed. Yeah, because yeah. because there's been too many times where like you see something that like it's a fumble or something, and they just let the play play out, and then the inf- the info and the replay kind of looks like that's not the right call, but it's not conclusive, and so that it ends up standing. But just because the language of the replay is it has to be conclusive to be overturned. It feels like you just leave you leave yourself open to maybe not having the possibility. And I've seen it happen in games where I thought, oh, as man. opposed to if you blow the whistle too early and you steal a touchdown you're, from KJ Wright. KJ Wright. Your point about the referee who Which had also the, happened. Your point about the referee who had the better angle making the call and then getting waved off to me is really valid. But that I don't like the whole. I want the referees to call it what they think it is. I don't want them to call it something because then it gets automatically replayed. Yeah, I, I'm with you. There. I agree with that. In I, I'm just saying that if they're like, "Hey, I thought it was a touchdown," the other guy's like, "No, no, it wasn't a touchdown." Then you call it the one that gets reviewed, that not the sense. one that can't be challenged by the coaches well, because you're inside two. Obviously, minutes. the guy who had the better angle didn't have great enough <laughs> conviction about his call. Yeah. He let himself not. be rolled over. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so he goes to DK on that one. That made sense. He's open. From what I can see of the routes on the other ones, I mean, that was obviously where he was looking to first, but the other ones looked fairly covered. The third down fade, which I hate that play. Yeah. (laughs) But I was watching it, and my first thought was, oh, Greg Olson definitely had the inside lane running like a little skinny post. Like, that seems like a throw you see a lot to a good tight end. And then I looked at the other side and I was like, oh, Tyler Lockett's in the slot. He usually makes people look ridiculous getting off the line. So then I replayed it again. And sure enough, Tyler Lockett was like two yards of separation after he just did his initial move off the line for an easy pass right down the middle to him, wide open middle of the end zone. And I'm like, yeah, okay, Russ, stop. Like, I, I know I get it. DK's a freak. And that's good. But you have arguably another top 10 receiver and one who is ridiculous in that situation at getting off the line clean and getting separation. Why were you so locked in to only one player on that drive? Well, and it's part of the reason why I hate goal line fade. Like, I hate a fade when you're that, not, not goal line necessarily, but like when you're that close. I hate the fade route because. It's like Russ is getting to the line, and he's obviously decided before the ball is snapped. Oh, he looks out there, and he's like, well, DK's got man coverage. He's got one man to beat. I'm going to throw it. So, like, no matter what happens in that play, he's already decided where he's going. Exactly. And the frustrating part about that is I could see it if the dude was playing, like, right up on him. But the guy was sitting, like, five yards off. Mm-hmm. You know how hard it is to run a fade, in that, a 10-yard fade, when the guy's already playing five yards off? How do you get around that person? Like that doesn't it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So that was frustrating to me. How and I so that led me to think were my frustrations with the short pass not being utilized was that Russell just wanting the home run ball all night and locking in 
to DK too much as well. Do you think that could have to do with DK's just physical size? Because Wilson struggled in the rain in the past. He was clearly not at the at his best last night. Is it possible that he's just like, man, I can't get the ball exactly where I want it to go. I'm I'm throwing it at the guy, the big guy that I can that I know exactly where he is and he can catch it even when it's not where I think it or where it should be. Like I don't I'm just kind of spitballing like but it definitely he, he 11 targets, I believe. For yeah, just Metcalf. maybe maybe because Metcalf's big and he has big hands that maybe Russ felt more comfortable throwing him the ball with the sideways rain because felt like he had a more a more likely chance of coming up with it. There maybe. was one play too <laughs> where Lockett had a ball near the goal line that he was running an out route, I think. And the ball was a little high, but he did get both his hands on it and he couldn't grasp it. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, that's I think that's a valid point yeah, that Met- just the size of, of Metcalf had eleven targets to Lockett's five and Carson's seven. I wouldn't try to like I don't want to make it seem like I think Russ doesn't trust Lockett or didn't trust Lockett, but maybe just to Andrew's point was kind of like I've got one little guy and one monster with giant hands and and I can't put w- it in a in a five inch window right and it, maybe it makes sense, but the thing is is he was so locked into that that he tried to put it in a five-inch window on the fade Yeah. when on the other side, Lockett had beat his man within six yards and he had two yards of separation. Is this the play you're talking about? Is that the one where DK got bumped by the DB and then didn't even really Yeah, didn't go, even go for yeah, it. Yeah, no, because the, the fade... That's the because reason you I also hate have the to fade throw it so early. Yeah, exactly. That's why I hate it. You throw it, like, you make the decision before the snap and then you, like, throw it yeah. up and... It doesn't matter how the play goes. Yeah. So that's not even the play call from the offensive coordinator. That's Russ deciding at the line, this is what I'm doing. Exactly. So that is 100% Russ's decision. Exactly. Yeah. And so that that frustrated me a little bit. But, I mean, all in all, Russell's amazing. They get it done. I just thought that it was interesting to me that on that last drive, it seemed so locked in to trying to throw the ball deep and then also so locked into DK Metcalf. It will be interesting now that I hadn't thought of it until you just brought it up, but I wonder now going into next week, the shift from Lockett to Metcalf has been like, it's happening. It's dramatic. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see like going forward over the next few games, assuming the weather is not what it was, like how gross it was in Seattle on Sunday, how that balance tends to go because like when I watch DK sometimes I think like this guy's better than Calvin Johnson he's he's a Randy Moss type talent like he's he could be that level of talent and Lockett is amazing and and precise and really really good but just because of his physical size he doesn't have the same ceiling that Metcalf does yeah and the the targets like you look at the game log the targets for Metcalf hasn't really changed that much. I mean, it was 8, 6, 8, 6, and then 11. So maybe this last game, and I would attribute it a lot to that last drive where he was just throwing it there no matter what. And then Tyler Lockett, his game log has seemed to change. It went from 8 to 8 to 13, and then the last two games, 4 and 5 targets. 
Was 13 the one where he had three touchdowns in the first half? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so since that game, maybe people have just been doubling him? Could be. Maybe that he's might attracting be more attention. Maybe he's attracting. Yeah, that could we be. We can invest in in some uh, in the NFL all, game. So game we can pass. get the all twenty two. Yeah, dude. Maybe, but I would probably. My wife might get upset because <laughs> I, I would live on there. Uh, you guys would. I'm not dedicated enough for that. I just think it's fascinating. <laughs> I didn't even turn the Seahawks game on until like fifteen minutes of post-game Lakers championship oh, coverage. Gosh. Like, I could have. And Peyton's sitting there going, like, Dad, can, the game's over. Can you switch it to the Seahawks game now? Thank and you, I Peyton. Like, no, I want to watch the post-game interviews. I wanted to watch. Can we just start having it... Peyton on the show instead of Justin? Yeah. Why didn't you bring Peyton with you? I should I'm have. afraid I'm that sorry. you guys will like him better than me and kick me out of the club. <laughs> <laughs> You're afraid? So... I think that already happened. <laughs> Hey, uh, on Metcalf, guys, okay. do you realize that he is second in the league in yards? Holy cow. Only to DeAndre Hopkins wow. with less than half as many receptions as Hopkins. I want to say I want to say, Stephon Diggs is really close also. Stephon Diggs is not very close. And he hasn't played, but he He's hasn't played yet this week. Oh, doesn't matter. I don't care. <laughs> he is. So then he, he will be pretty close. Because I think uh, Stephon Diggs was leading the league in receiving yards going into this week. Was he really? No, there's no way DeAndre Hopkins got how many? Do I don't you, know. He's DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre he could Hopkins have got that has much. 528 yards, and Stefan Diggs has 403 yards currently. Googling. Okay. And Googling. Metcalf has 496. Okay. Um, I had I did not realize when I was saying earlier that uh. Diggs has, has one only four game. games, but uh, so he'll be he'll be popping back up there. Regardless of Hopkins, what Stephon Diggs does, Andrew, yeah, Hopkins had 131 yards receiving so he did. on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I was right. You were. Oh my gosh, I was right. <laughs> that Usually, when I'm right about anything, I like to immediately <laughs> take a victory lap because I like to savor those moments and then just in that moment forget about all the things I was wrong about. <laughs> if you, if you sort by yards per game, uh, Metcalf drops drops down to uh, fifth behind uh, Jamison Crowder, DeAndre Hopkins, Travis Fulham for Philadelphia, about, and Stephon Diggs. Can you I don't find think that's that's twelve receptions? Can can count. you find yards per catch though? Uh, probably because I think Metcalf would probably be way up there on that, Average. if not the top. Yeah, probably. Uh, he is the top. DK Metcalf leagues the lead in average yards per catch at 22.5. Next is Michael Gallup with 20 and a half and Chase Claypool of Pittsburgh for tw- of t- with 20. Wow. Is leaguing the lead different than <laughs> leading the league? Hey, I'm a producer. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have such a good podcast. <laughs> is is there any what what other main points did you guys take away? That was the weird random thing that jumped out that I wanted to talk about as I was watching through the highlights again today. But I realized, I mean, the first half was just horror bad. I I really I mean because I didn't watch. <laughs> I watched the last quarter and a half. Okay, well, so it's hard for me to have great analysis. My biggest takeaway, which was the thing, was the thing that I texted you guys in our group, and I already brought up. It was the Tebow vibes. Like I, when we went through that 
Tebow stretch and Daniel was all kinds of wrapped up in Tebow oh, mania. Yeah. We were going nuts at the end of those games. Tebow! And it feels like the kind of things that happened at the end of those Broncos games are happening to the Seahawks and Russ is doing these on a regular basis to where like if Tebow came and did that now, I'd be like, what? It's like it's like so, when, we, when we watch Patrick Mahomes play and Al Michaels goes, oh my God, only Mahomes. <laughs> and we're like, what? We've been watching Russ do that for years. That's what I think Tebow would be like now. You're It'd be right. like, this is, this is just what Russ does every week. Why is this a big deal? So just like with the, oh, getting kissy faces notifications here from Andrew is? Andrew's phone. Maybe you should switch the phone back over to my side, Andrew, because Daniel actually comments on it more often than I do. <laughs> or is that just because you haven't had his phone for a while? Yes. Uh, the, and I think the biggest Tebow vibe game was even more so because it was that uh, divisional championship Packers. game with the yeah. Packers. Like, yes. that was so stupid. None of that should have happened. Yeah. And yet, that was exactly what we were seeing with Tebow. Yeah. Like, to the point where, like, running backs are fumbling the ball or getting tackled out of bounds for no yeah, reason. Yeah, a guy misses That's, recovering an onside kick. Yeah, like the biggest difference. I I totally get what you're what you're talking about. Are you about to degrade the Tebow? Biggest you difference <laughs> is that I feel like the craziest stuff that was happening in the Tebow games was stuff that Tebow didn't have anything to do. And that's why it was so crazy. Well, that's why I was just saying with the Packers yeah, game. Yes, and and that, that's why I agree with you. Packers was that was like that. A lot of the Wilson, it it has that same feel of just like inevitability, but it's much usually much more things that Wilson is actually doing. Just I think. I don't know. Tebow had some pretty te- dope runs in those <laughs> Tebow games. Tebow did. <laughs> I think once he threw a ball like 12 yards. <laughs> the one. But the it perfectly <laughs> placed so that he could run 90 for the touchdown. No, he <laughs> caught it himself. <laughs> he threw it 12 yards and then ran and caught it. The that was Tebow The one that stands magic. out to me the most of Tebow is what Daniel was talking about. With Was it Rondé Barber? What about him? Dropping the ball instead of running oh, out of bounds. Oh, was he the running back to, at that time? I believe time? Yeah. so. Rondé Barber was a defensive back. Oh, then it, oh, what was the uh, other barber? Tiki? Tiki? Tiki I don't barber. think it was Tiki. I think it was a different barber who re- played for the... Um, Peyton Barber. For the... <laughs> I don't know. I just Chicago re- Bears. Chip Barber. It, yeah, it was the Bears. <laughs> I just remember that he didn't run out of bounds and he dropped the ball. And it was like, how even... And then Tebow won the game. Yeah. (laughs) I, as far as takeaways, I, I gotta say, I still will say this. I think Tebow in the Baltimore Ravens offense could be doing Lamar things. Lamar's a better thrower. But was he his rookie year? No. No. How many years did Tebow get? One. Half. Half a freaking season. (laughs) And he won a playoff game. Yeah. Well, he was a crappy punt protector, so he couldn't stay in the league. (laughs) It was Marion Barber. Marion. I knew it was a barber. Yep. Uh, I Going back to last night's game. Okay. I could talk the, about Tebow way too much. <laughs> it was really hard to watch. You want to talk about Jeremy Lin? The defense. <laughs> yes! I love Jeremy Lin. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew, go ahead. I'm done. It was really hard to watch the defense. And so I wanted to just bring up some... Yes, the Seahawks defense is not the defense of 
your they are leading the league in yards allowed. And uh, in this game, they did it by giving up yards on the ground. They are, however, only 20th in points per game. So they're not the worst in the league in points per game. <laughs> but they are in the bottom third. And yes, well, we're trending upwards with my little positive things about the defense to keep in mind. So that was bad, bad, bad math by me there. There's not a, in the bottom third. I apologize. Is there 32 teams? Yeah, but also yep. if you're 20th, there would be 10 teams behind you. So you still wouldn't be in the bottom third. So the, even if there were only there, 30. I'm going to stop trying to do radio. There is one thing that the Seahawks defense <laughs> is doing really well, and that's getting turnovers. That's true. They're, the Seahawks turnover differential right now is tied for the best in the league at positive six. Which tells me that that's the only saving grace of why they're not giving up more points. It It is a big deal. Uh, so we've got that going for us <laughs> as fans. Uh I just wanted to bring that up because it does – It's the defense has been – they they have not been bad in the same way any given week so far. I, I do feel like – Like they're picking they're, – they're doing better at what, uh, what they did bad last week and yeah. getting gashed in some new way, it feels it, like. It, it does kind of remind me of what – some of the previous good Seahawks defenses used to do that occasionally drove us nuts, which was the bend but don't break philosophy. Like, let's force turnovers and not let any big plays happen over the top, and when it gets down into the red zone, then we'll stiffen up and we'll let up a buttload of field goals. And I, I know that they have also let up quite a few touchdowns, but from the bulk of the year, it feels like last year they just couldn't stop anybody and everyone was just scoring touchdowns. This year it feels like they're stopping teams in the red zone more often and forcing field goals. That makes sense. Do you want to hear some of the ridiculous stats <laughs> of why the Seahawks had no business winning this game? Yes. First downs. Vikings 31, Seahawks 18. Rushing first downs 12 to 6. First downs from penalties 2 to nothing. Third down efficiency. The Vikings were 6 for 14, the Seahawks were <laughs> 0 for 7 on third down so on the brutal. day. Fourth down efficiency, two for three to two for two. So they got them on that one, especially the most important one. Uh, total plays, 83 for the Vikings, 52 for the Seahawks. Total yards, 449 for the Vikings, 314 for the Seahawks. They both had 11 drives. Uh, that's kind of hard not to even out on. I guess you'd have to get an onside kick or something to switch that up. Turnovers. Anyway, oh, wait. Um, no, I guess turnovers, you still have it. Passing. They the Vikings had 248 team passing yards to the Seahawks 190. Uh, rushing the Vikings ran for 201 yards to the Seahawks 124. And about half of that was Russ, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think Russ was was he the leading rusher? I think he had the Seahawks yeah. were averaging 7.8 yards per rush. Why weren't they running more? Well, I, that yeah. was Daniel. Yes. You brought that up yesterday with us off air, yeah. which was like, why did Carson only have seven carries? Yeah, exactly. I don't understand it. And the the only thing that the Seahawks won there, Andrew, was pretty much the the turnovers. They the Vikings turned it over twice. The Seahawks turned it over once. But also yeah, red zone why efficiency. Did, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but why did Chris Carson have eight carries? He averaged six and a half yards per carry. And you look at the long and you're like, all right, but he had a 29-yard run. But even without that, he's averaging four and a half yards per carry. 
Yeah. In what universe does that guy, especially when they retake the lead, so they're not playing from behind or whatever, even though they're never that far down. Especially with the weather like it was. Yeah, why is he not getting more work? And then they... The Travis Homer third and forever run. I'm I'm over. Um, I'm done with that. Kind of just over Travis Homer, like in general. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that's hey, about. He, why is he even he running the ball at all? He had three carries for 14 yards. But why is he that's even true. running the ball? He was not the problem in the game. But why is that's he, true. Why is he getting three carries when Carson only has eight? Yeah, exactly. It's it not be, like they if needed to spell If you're going to hand Carson. off to a running back 11 times, hand it to Carson 11 times. Yeah. You don't want Russell Wilson leading your team in rushing yards. Well, I mean, five carries for 58 yards. He could have rushed a few more times too, maybe. <laughs> but it's scary. Yeah, <laughs> I get scared when scary. he runs. I don't, I don't like it either. Although, you know what? He slides. He, I, he was, he's not going to get hurt running. I do. I am. I he feel hurt confident. himself sliding he's... once. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's true. And we were all like. How did you hurt yourself sliding? You were a freaking baseball player. <laughs> was it? Uh, yeah. The other thing, uh, Andrew mentioned how the defense has been picking different ways to be bad every week. <laughs> this week was run defense. And before the game, I remember when they signed Snacks Harrison thinking, I mean, I'm glad that we got another guy who should be good, but we don't need that much help in the run game. And then this game happened, and I was like, oh, yeah, get snacks down from wherever the suite he's sitting in to go play now. Don't even need pads. He's better than what we're seeing stopping the run. Get snacks. Get snacks. I think that when I watch football games all the time. Snacks. <laughs> Me too. Commercial break. Get snacks. Well, for Justin, it's watch an NBA game. Is there a football game going on? Eh, well, I need snacks. snacks. Okay, and now there was a large <laughs> chunk of time that I had no idea what was going on in the Seahawks game. For most of the Laker game, I was checking in on what the Seahawks were doing on my phone. But I had to cook dinner for my children, so I was outside grilling, and I had the Laker game on my phone. So for a long period of time, I had nothing to use to keep to follow the Seahawks game, and I didn't care enough. You know, as <laughs> that's the key part. <laughs> yes, there you <laughs> Just go. Just to throw that in there. You know, it's weird. I feel <laughs> like also. almost every week. I've come in and just ranted about Seahawks things that I've hated. They're 5-0 and for the first time in franchise history. Yeah. Hey, Why yeah. am I so negative after every week? This is what we do this year. Why? We skew negative. We skew negative <laughs> every week. They're and the the, now we've, we have to, we continue to double down on it. Like, it's our thing now. So it doesn't matter if Andrew's prediction comes true and they go 16-0. and We still have to go negative. Hey, okay. I'm... I am totally there to skew <laughs> the 16th win of the season negative. Okay. Geno Smith only had four touchdown passes? That's terrible. <laughs> what are you going to do going into the playoffs with a backup quarterback that's not seasoned? <laughs> the Seahawks sit atop of the NFC at the moment with the 5-0 and record. They are definitely atop of the NFC West. Which, oh, saw the Niners get absolutely pasted by the Jimmy Dolphins. Garoppolo that was another thing I took a victory lap ready. on. That's true. Because I told you last week you're underestimating the Dolphins. <laughs> and they just waxed the Niners. They are actually... Underestimating Dolphins or overestimating Niners? Both. Well, no. 
I definitely, I think I no, definitely overestimated the Niners. You, you didn't because, no, because you're, the basis of your argument was that they have to get healthy first. Oh, that's true. Because you were oh. saying, when we went through that whole, which three teams are going to make the playoffs from the <laughs> NFC West, I was the only one who left the Niners out, but. Oh, what is, what is, what's going on there? Andrew's doing Sorry. something. What is, Andrew, what are you doing? Making popcorn. My. But my... when we did that <laughs> segment, which I really enjoyed doing that segment, but when we did that segment, you, Daniel, you said you thought the 49ers would be in, and I think you left the, did you leave the Rams out or the Cardinals out? Cardinals, I think you left yeah. out. And you you were saying that the 49ers will be strong when they're healthy. And that point hasn't been proven yet. But the 49ers defense has been really good, even though the 49ers have been dealing with a lot of injuries, and they got torn apart by the Dolphins. But the Dolphins are kind of a team to keep half an eye on because they're in the same division as the Jets and the Patriots, who who knows how good they're going to be. I, yes. And they've been competitive in every game. I have to throw this out there. You just said the Niners' defense has been really good. Yeah. They've played against the Cardinals, the Jets, the Giants, the yeah. Eagles, and then the Dolphins yeah. tore them apart. It's the same point you made last week, and you're right. Okay. Yeah. So, are we working? Don't agree with me, dang it! (laughs) Are we working under the assumption that the Cardinals' offense is bad? Uh, I was working under the assumption that they haven't been proven yet. Okay. And And, I was working under the assumption that they're three games. The other three games were against the Jets, the Giants, and the Eagles. And I was operating under the assumption that the Cardinals' offense is going to get better as the season goes on. Yeah. Because. Kyler Murray is in his second year, so he it stands to reason that he will get better as he goes. Also, he just got a brand new number one receiver, and that that chemistry would develop, even yeah. though it apparently it already has because Hopkins is leading the league in receiving. Uh, the NFC West is still the only division with all the teams having a positive scoring differential, and the NFC East is mm. still the only division where they all have a negative scoring differential. There was a moment. <laughs> Before stupid Andy Dalton led that comeback at the end where it looked like the Cowboys were going to lose and the Eagles were going to be in the division lead <laughs> with a 1-3-1 and record. It looked like they were going to lead the division. Ugh. But the stupid Andy Dalton led two very Andy Dalton-like field goal drives yep. after it was his stupid mistake that caused them to be down in the first place. Red rifle. Yeah. So he blew it first. And then he led two field goal drives, and that was aided, I think, very strongly by the Giants deciding to, like, the Giants got the ball back with two minutes left, and they tried to go really fast, and then they had to punt really quick, and they left too much time on the clock, which led Andy Dalton right back in there for a field goal drive. Yeah, just... He can't throw touchdowns, but he can lead field goal drives. Yeah, and in that division, (laughs) if you get five field goals a game, you're sitting pretty. (laughs) So that is a little wrap of the NFL for the weekend. I believe anything else that you guys picked up on? I think mention? the thing I'm most curious about NFL wide right now is what's going to happen with the postponed games. Yeah. yeah. Because if teams have more than one postponed game, the only thing that I've heard suggested that makes any sense is that the NFL might push week 17 back one week and then put an extra week in there that they could make up games for teams that need it. So if they hadn't, if teams hadn't missed any games, they would get an extra buy and the the second games that need to be made up could be made in that extra week. Um, I still don't understand 
why they're not just playing all the healthy players. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, it would completely. It's not like destroy... baseball though. Like baseball, you legitimately can have like massive farm systems and just like throw anybody out there. But football, there's so much more like game planning and physical conditioning, and it feels like it would be way harder to just grab anybody off the street and fill half your football roster You sound with it. like a Titans fan explaining why you should have time to get your team healthy. Well, I, Daniel, what do you think about What do you think about that? I'm curious because, Andrew, you tweeted that. Follow him uh, online at, on Twitter at GrossRugger if you want good insights like these. And legitimately, okay, no, seriously, people, if you listen to our show, follow Andrew on Twitter because he's an outside-the-box thinker and he brings up things in a way that I don't think of a lot of times. A lot of times they're stupid and I don't agree with them, <laughs> but he thinks about things in a different way. And when I read your tweet, which was basically teams should be forced to play with like, just grab off your practice I, squad and just play. I thought that's why we expanded the practice squad but, and the rosters. But the other issue is hey, that why they did. the other the issue is that when the they all these guys that have already been around each other are all constantly having to be retested. When you have a positive test, you could potentially have like twenty or thirty more guys that might not have they might not sh- test positive yet because of the incubation yeah. period. So <laughs> if somebody tests positive, then I think even the guys that are on your roster have to go a couple days before they can they can yeah. prove it again. And so, I get that, but if that's the case, then why did the Patriots yeah. not have. I think that was a mistake. I think I think it proved to be a mistake well, because Stephon, can't, because no. they've had two guys test positive since then that probably had coronavirus during that game and didn't know because of the incubation period. Exactly. Have, has anyone who did they play? It was the against Chiefs. Kansas City. Have anyone when, on the Chiefs tested positive? I don't think so. I, I, I but don't remember people hearing. were immediately tweeting pictures of post game when Stephon Gilmore was hugging Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and going and it's this like, is why. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> the thing. It's not the fact that these players have been jumping on each other and rubbing sweat all over each other. All, but nope, that post game hug, that's gonna do it. Well, yeah. Give me a break. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Do you not know what football is, where you literally have guys hugging on every play, and yet nope. The post game, they went over and hugged him. Justin, the the uh, idea of people possibly still being uh, like in the incubation period, it makes sense. And I would say if you had somebody test positive like the day before or the day of the game, that'd probably be a bigger. But if they're testing positive earlier in the week, even if it's a bunch of people, I feel like you should be able to quarantine all those people see if anyone tests positive in the next few days and if nobody does play with what who you've got but I what think if that's you true, do have when it more happened people, with cam newton it was like then you'd have on, to forfeit daniel but when it happened, you literally can't play anyone well no i was just saying like so say you quarantine those people you test for a couple days and then on the third day you test again and three more pop up but that that's where just the what Justin was saying about how people could be yeah that's uh, th- then I I agree like okay. you'd, you'd have to just not play or forfeit or something I mean if they had actually expanded the pra- practice squads a lot a lot of, like, instead four. of like yeah. four or whatever yeah. what whatever it was yeah. then I could see it happening if you also had the pro- practice squads how they do in baseball separate. which was separate yeah. Because in baseball, they had the taxi squads in a completely different mm-hmm. location. Yeah, that's true. Mostly, I just want to see 
some scrubs getting a chance to play. Ryan Neal, oh, man. I yeah. He is a normal NFL injury bug. You would have Marlins baseball this year. <laughs> <laughs> they literally lost, literally lost their entire bullpen. That's crazy. Yeah. Interesting, because the Mariners just didn't have a bullpen. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Mariners' trick. If you don't have a bullpen from the beginning, then you don't Can't have to lose, lose it. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a commercial break and be back with what is usually filled with Francis questions, but uh, had he had enough attention already this show. The team of realtors at Olipen Real Estate wish you and your family good health during this stay home, stay safe time. Their team has health and safety measures in place to protect you and everyone involved in the process. If you're thinking about selling your home, now is a great time. There are more buyers than available homes. Many homes are still receiving multiple offers and are selling for above asking price. OliPen Real Estate will help you put the most money possible in your pocket in less time without the hassle. Visit sellmyharborhome.com to get your home market ready. The OliPen team is ready to work for you. Thank you again to our sponsors. Oh, OliPen Real Estate <laughs> and the I really thought Andrew was going to say something. Yeah, I know. I I, well, I wanted to, but I want to let you get that. I had one more thing to say about the Seahawks that I, we didn't get to. but uh, Ole Penn Real Estate and the law office. Jeff, was Jeff it Jeff important enough to cut off our sponsor mentions, Andrew? <laughs> no, that's why I didn't. <laughs> All right, what was, the, what was the thing? Say your thing. Michael Dixon is awesome. Out of uh, yes. 22 punts, he's got 14 inside the 20. That's Four more than any other team. I want it. How many oh. times did it matter when he pinned him really deep? Oh, none, none of them. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know how many he has inside the five. I don't know if anyone keeps track of that, but I seriously ludicrous. There was there was one last night where he punted it up, and the camera followed the ball and it came back down and there was a Seahawk player there to yes. fair catch it. He caught it in the air. <laughs> like, that was an he, awesome he play. He wasn't even running after it. He was like waiting for it. It was it. like he was running a route and Dixon punted the ball to him. <laughs> Isn't that what it felt like? It was. He made it, it was a Mahdi. It was a Mahdi. Oh, yep. No, you're right. It happened twice. The the one you're talking about, he caught it on the run. Yeah. The the one I'm talking about the camera panned back down, and there was a a Seahawks standing oh, on the goal line. Like he was the receiver. Like he was of just the standing punch. there, oh, yeah. and he caught the ball. I must have been watching LeBron it win the championship when the, that happened. They they were both amazing, though. <laughs> the the, uh, the one on the run was probably a better catch, but I just was um, like, <laughs> you didn't see you didn't see the player get there. Yeah. By the time the ball came down, he'd been there. Did for he a fair while. catch it? <laughs> I, I don't think so. He should have. All right. The mailbag. Yes, the mailbag. Send us your stuff (laughs) in a mailbag. Way to make that weird, Daniel. We got two questions (laughs) this week from The Godfather. Uh I thought, like Daniel said, Francis, uh, he already had his own segment this week. Yep. So we're going to. That was a good one. I don't like it. There's one kind of serious and one kind of silly. So we're going to start with the serious and we'll end with the silly. The Godfather says, pre-pandemic, there was a concern about the lack of high school officials in many sports, but particularly football. One band-aid that was discussed at the time, so this is still pre-pandemic, was more Thursday and Saturday varsity football games to spread it out. 
What is your level con- level of concern that the pandemic will make the situation more difficult? And what strategies would you su- suggest to retain <laughs> and recruit officials? Man, it is a tough situation. Nobody wants to be an official. Yeah. It's, it's a hard job. It's a hard job. And if you want to make any kind of impactful money off of it, you have to do it a lot. That's true. I mean, I've, I've known guys... There was one guy in particular that was an official in multiple sports, and he used to do, like, in addition to high school stuff, he would do our rec league softball and basketball and stuff. Um, and he told me one time that he made over $40,000 a year wow. as supplemental income to his regular job by refing. But that meant he had a job, and then the whole rest of his life was just refing things all the time. Yeah. So if you constantly do it, you can make decent money with it, but you have to love it. Um. Can you make people love it? I don't think so. Like force them to? Is there Especially, some kind of like chemical th- thing you could inject into someone <laughs> to make them arrogant? I feel like <laughs> Yeah. I feel like football would probably be the best when it comes to how much you're getting berated because at least the fans aren't right on top of you screaming at your face. Basketball's the worst. Basketball's the worst. Baseball is after that. But football, at least you have some separation between the fans and you. Yeah. But then you got to ref in like terrible weather sometimes where you're just getting rain dumping on you for three hours or whatever. So I don't know how you, I don't know. I mean, they, like you mentioned, if you do it a lot, you, you can make some pretty good money doing it. But it just doesn't seem like something that too many people are interested in. And spreading out the more games. To thir- I had never thought about having Thursday games mm-hmm. for varsity football. Well, they already do that in, like, I remember covering eight-man games on Thursdays sometimes. Okay. So I think that they that in some on some levels they already were occasionally doing that. Um, I mean, it makes sense. I, I think some people would be disappointed that you don't have the Friday night lights aspect of high school football like you know many people grew up in these smaller towns like i would say monty and elma specifically and daniel you probably could tell me if, if hoquim's like this too where it's like friday night that's just what people do they go to the high school football game yeah exactly so there probably would be that kind of nostalgic element of it that people wouldn't want to give up but you're presented with a problem that's real which is we don't have enough officials to cover these games, I think if you were to ask most officials, like, what's your number one complaint? Like, if you were to ask people when they're on their way out, why did you not want to do this anymore? I think probably a big factor in it would be just the amount of crap that they take from coaches and probably parents and fans. It's a deterrent, you know? Nobody wants to, like, you, you, you get to a point where it's not worth the money that you're getting to just be berated. Exactly. And, I mean, we, we both have horror stories <laughs> of hearing people go next level yeah. with berating <laughs> officials. And then we both have our own experiences of berating officials. Uh-huh. Yep. And I think we know that <laughs> we needed to check ourselves and see that we needed to make changes in our own lives and mindsets when it came to that. And the people who go next level, I mean, sometimes they're just crazy loony bin crazy where you're like, okay, 
what are we doing here that you are saying these types of things to just a mm-hmm. person trying to make it so your kid can play a sport in high school? Yeah, and I well, I've never coached any football beyond youth football. I know there were some coaches in youth football that were absolutely out of control. But 95% of the people that I coached with and against had made a conscious effort like, hey, this guy's doing this because he wants to be here to help the kids. Like, let's not give him any more crap than he needs to have. Good. I felt pretty good at that level. I have felt more like in high school football. And I've been on the sidelines a lot doing photography and covering games and other stuff. I have often felt like coaches think they need to constantly yell at the referees because if they are constantly in the referee's ear, that they'll get the next call because the referee will think, okay, well, we've had too many calls that this guy didn't like, so I'm going to give him the next one. So It's funny. I would think that if I was an official, it would be the opposite. Yeah, it would be for me, too, because I'd be like, okay, screw you. But with the amount that it's not even always the head coaches, but with the amount that the coaches of a lot of teams in the high school level just stand there and chirp at the officials and it's just a really normal thing. Mm -hmm. You just tune it out after a while. Some of the officials are really good at just blocking it out and not caring. But could you could the WIAA or the officials association come together and say, we're going to have harsher penalties for coaches who are verbally abusive. Yeah. I mean, that that's like the first thing that comes to mind is if we're trying to solve a problem, let's figure out what the problem is. Why don't people want to officiate? If it's the fans and the parents, that's too hard to control. But if you can get the coaches that are on the field and on the sidelines to calm down a little bit and have actual penalties for them, then maybe that would deter them from acting the way that they do sometimes. That's true. I mean, it comes down to trying to protect your employees, right? I mean, what other employees are just verbally abused on the daily? Well, when Andrew worked for me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so I'm, what is the current pipeline for recruitment of officials? Like, I honestly don't – like, where do officials come from? If somebody wanted to be an official, how would they How would they do it? it could it be that they need, they need to focus on finding people? Like, find high school people that are athletes in other sports or something. Like, it, it, would it make sense to – to actively try to recruit and train young referees? It would. I feel like often... Or do they? The, I'm not aware of it. Often the high school kids that I've talked to, because, like, for example, a lot of the high school basketball programs now do a youth program. They, like, yeah. run a youth program. They do it in Hoquiam. They do it in Montesano. I think Hoquiam does a tournament, and Monty does a league, where they have their high school athletes officiate the games with the kids number one because it gives you a chance to see it from the other side and understand why refs call things the way they do but number two it gives you an opportunity to deal with uh parents and coaches and players that don't like calls that you make and understand how that affects an official as well but most of the time when i've talked to these kids they they don't think 
wow, I want to do this after high school. Like, cause I've done this now. I don't know who you're targeting, I guess is what I'm saying. Gotcha. Cause I think the kids who are athletes, I, it's hard to say that a, a high percentage of those kids would then want to go into officiating. I feel like it's often more, um, it tends to be older guys, not, not kids that are coming straight out of high school. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, I was, I was thinking maybe if you could get kids that are coming out of high school to be interested in it then you might have referees I think it, that could see what was happening. I think that would require a culture change because <laughs> I, I think that you yeah. might need to institute harsher punishments for coaches, coaches and, and teams and parents and stuff like that initially because why do you think the kids wouldn't want to do it straight out of high school? Like They're young. They're not confident enough to yeah. be dealing with that kind of backlash. Yeah, so, that's, that's a good point. So that, that would be a great way to start then. Start or they by... could just get the calls right, and then nobody would have to get mad at them. Yeah, well, that's what I thought too. But uh, start it, by oh. just tossing the loud mouth, the first loud mouth from every game, yeah. and then people will shut up real that's quick. That's not a terrible idea, actually. All serious, like all joking aside, I like I, I question referees all the time, and we all know I hate referees. But <laughs> but in in my all like, referees in in all seriousness, I was brought up as a kid that the ref the umpire the referee was always right you it and it's it i i have as i've got older occasionally gone so far as to be like oh oh sh- come on and then run away when i think the umpire called me out at home when i was safe or something like that but I there's I think that there is definitely something to the idea that y- you should be you should you should be trying to change culture so that that people can accept that the the referee may be wrong and there's only one way to deal with that which is respectfully. Yeah, and that comes I think first from your parents and then from your coaches and you can't just say it. Yeah, and it has to be you an example. No, absolutely. Like one, a big thing that I respect about your dad is I don't think growing up I ever heard him disrespect an official, if, no matter how blatant or whatever it was. Yeah, and that was an example that not only were you told on multiple levels, but you saw as well. Now, me on the other hand, I feel like <laughs> I was told all the time, but yeah, I mean, if you've I mean, Hargrove's Hargrove's throwing somebody out of a game who's the first loudmouth. Yeah. I mean, for a while there, Hargrove was synonymous with shut up, stop yelling at officials. (laughs) Your dad already stopped listening because of the. uh, (laughs) Oh, actually, speaking of that, I just got a message back. I just got a message back from the Oregon State Beavers Athletic Department. Oh, you're the worst. They don't want you as a fan anymore <laughs> because they heard the Stump Daniel segment. You're the worst. <laughs> do we want to do this this last question from – how are we doing on yeah. time, Andrew? Do you want to do this last mailbag question? Uh, I, yeah, we're fine. We got Let's nothing but time. Let's do it. It's a it. podcast. So the Godfather <laughs> also wants to know what posters were on your wall as a kid. Be honest. If it was the Backstreet Boys, just say so. Nobody will make fun of you. Sure. Okay. 
He says anyway. that he had Barry Sanders and a white Ferrari Testarossa. Ooh, I can get behind that. I was more of a Lamborghini guy myself. See, I was but... a Dodge Viper. Like that was I didn't we have had a Dodge... Dodge Viper poster, but we had one, yeah. I was into Dodge Vipers big time as a teenager. I think my sister got a poster because she was really into Dodge Vipers as a teenager too. And then I ended up snagging that when she didn't want to put it on her ceiling and I put it on ours. My brother dominated our poster game in, in my room, though. Oh, he's a Beamer guy. And we didn't have cars. We just had seven or eight Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey Jr. posters. <laughs> like, way too many Ken Griffey Jr. posters. And then I had a poster of, I think, Gary Payton throwing an oop to Sean Kemp. And then we also had that poster with the stupid Michael Jordan quote where he's like, I've missed all these shots. I have done this. I have failed at this. I have been trusted to make the last, and I've failed, and that is why I succeed. And I thought it was the coolest thing at the time, and now I just think <laughs> Michael Jordan was kind of a jack wagon. <laughs> yes, he was. Andrew but, Posters? I I had a bang 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 bangle bangle tiger. Oh, nice! In the snow. Oh, that's cool. And uh, I also we also had I I li- I was in the same room as my brother, and we didn't have a ton of wall decoration that I remember. But we also had a poster that was like a wetlands wildlife poster. Uh, from my dad worked at the Department of Fish and Wildlife, so it came from there, and it was like, like a wetland with all the different wildlife that lived there, labeled and shown. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was it was cool. That's not embarrassing at all. No. <laughs> well, Justin, I, I, the poster phase of my life was short. I had an Edgar Martinez poster that had a, he was holding a bat that was on fire and it said Muy Caliente. Nice. That was my favorite poster. <laughs> that one lives the longest. I also, during that 2001 season, I had a John Olerud poster that I picked up from Walmart, I think. That's awesome. And I think the only other poster that I ever had in my room. Uh-oh, you're getting red. <laughs> <laughs> I had an Anna Kornikova poster. <laughs> And sports related. Purely for her tennis abilities. Yes. I'm sure. Abilities. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you, my mom fought me on that one a little bit. <laughs> but I won. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I got to say, my biggest, the most important poster in our bedroom was a Ken Griffey Jr. poster that covered the hole in the wall that was created by me tackling my brother who was in an upside down sleeping bag and his head went through the wall. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I also covered up a hole in the wall in the hallway upstairs with a poster. And then when I moved out, when I moved out, my mom took it down and was like, what the heck is this? Oh. <laughs> I don't even remember exactly how I did it, but I must have been like playing some kind of get ball game upstairs and yeah. just smashed into the wall. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, so with that, that's going to do it for our show today. So for my co-host, Justin Anacornikova's biggest fan, Domashevitz. 
and my co-host Daniel, the former Oregon State Beavers oh. fan, Hargrove. <laughs> Mine's worse. Oh. And for our producer, Andrew, we all know I hate referees. Gross. They're the worst. You've been listening to The Scrimmage. Baseball umpires. They're the worst. Uh, what about baseball referees? <laughs> They're called runs, not points. <laughs> <laughs> but how many runs for a touchdown? <laughs>